0: So the Phillies stink right now. Nine games under 500 Yeah, you don't want to watch. I get it. But cast your eyes to the West. Lehigh Valley and Redding? Those are the places to be. We'll talk to Matt Province, the PR and radio voice of the Iron Pigs, about all the great stuff happening at Coca-Cola Stadium. And we'll look into Reading with Corey Sharp. Scott Kingery? Yeah, the next great Philly? Possibly. The Phillies Nation podcast is live! Yo, Phillies Nation! Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 9. I'm Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of PhilliesNation.com, where you can go and get news, rumors, information, and more about the Philadelphia Phillies. Also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Nation, Twitter at PhilliesNation, and Instagram at PhilliesNation underscore. Phillies Nation podcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and and on YouTube at youtube.com/slash Phillies Nation, we have a good show for you today. I interviewed earlier last week Matt Province, the PR and radio voice of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, who are playing so well right now. They had a what twelve game winning streak, I believe, before they finally lost a game, and then they ripped off a, a sweep over Syracuse. So. They've won something like 15 of their last 16 games or something like that. They're just on an insane roll. And uh, I talked to Matt Province about all the guys playing in Lehigh Valley, all the great stuff happening there, everything from Reese Hoskins, obviously, and what his timetable is, to Dylan Cousins, to some of the pitchers. We talked a little bit about J.P. Crawford, and he has a very stern message for Philadelphia fans about J.P. Crawford. And hint, be patient. Meanwhile, in Redding... They're also playing pretty well. I think people have kind of lost track of what they're doing because Lehigh Valley is so good. But Reading has ripped off a bunch of wins as well in the last two weeks, and they are in first place right now in their division. Corey Sharp of PhilliesNation.com went to First Energy Stadium to watch the Fightin' Phils play on Saturday. Even though they lost big in that game, it was one of the rare losses in recent memory for them. He's still got a lot of great stuff. He talked to Scott Kingery, who is man of the hour in Reading. Obviously, Philly fans want to see Scott Kingrey in Philadelphia sooner than later, and he's making that case. He now has 13 home runs. He hit, I think, two on Sunday. Maybe it was one on Sunday, but he has 13 home runs, which leads the Eastern League, and that's not even the thing that he does the best. He also runs very well. He leads the team in stolen bases, and he's one of the leaders in the league in that. He also fields extremely well at second base, very smooth out there at the bag, and he can hit for contact. He's got a 2 89 average so far this year, but he's very good with the stick, and he's obviously showing with the power numbers. So Corey Sharp talked to him, and we'll talk with Corey about that and some other things with Redding. And we'll also talk with Dan Walsh of philliesnation.com about the Major League Club. Ah, do we have to talk about the Major League Club? Boy, they're they're playing terribly, aren't they? Man, they're playing terribly. Uh, They almost had a uh, 2 out of 3 against the Pirates over the weekend, but they lost. And they're now 15-26 and 26 on the season, which is among the worst records in all of baseball. Their Pythagorean record is a little bit better in 19-22, but now it's under 500. So as we said about, what, two weeks ago, oh, this team is like a 500 team. I think they'll kind of be a 500 team most of the year. And look, they could still be a 500 team. They can rip off a bunch of wins, and they probably will at some point. I think once we get maybe closer to the summer months, And maybe some of the young kids come up or something like that. I'm sure there will be some sort of a weird run that they make. But, you know, right now it doesn't look like they're a 500 team. (laughs) They look more like a 5 or 6 under 500 team. And right now they're about 9 under 500. So, not fun. But there are some good things. Aaron Nola returned on Sunday against Pittsburgh and threw very, very well. I mean, he was great out there. Seven innings. A Philly starter actually goes seven innings. And we'll talk to Dan Walsh about the problems with the starting rotation, Jared Eickhoff and maybe what he found in his delivery that might help him, Vince Velasquez and his problems. And boy, did he have a lot to say after his bad start on Saturday against Pittsburgh. We'll go into that a little bit because Velasquez taking it out on himself, as he always does. But some comments that this is not the first player to make some comments that seem to be directed toward coaching. And we're looking more at uh, Bob McClure, the pitching coach of the Phillies, and how Maybe his job might be on the line soon because the Phillies pitching staff is atrocious right now. They're one of the worst in baseball. Their team ERA is 4.78, which is second to last in the National League and in Major League Baseball, only, thankfully, to the New York Mets. But they're pitching terribly. So one has to wonder is Bob McClure on the line here? The Phillies pitching staff hasn't been very good over the past couple of years, and the Phillies are priding themselves on pitching depth. It's not showing right now because these guys are not pitching too well. But we'll talk to Dan Walsh about that. But Nola came back on Sunday and pitched extremely well. Seven innings. Gave up just a run. Sadly, the Phillies didn't score any runs, so he lost the game. But struck out four in the game or five in the game. But obviously, we have to see what happens over the next couple starts with Nola as much as we have to see what happens with Eflin, who had a tough go of it against Texas. We'll see if he can rebound from that coming up this week. A lot of movement. But the Phillies pitching has been very tough. But the problem right now, and we'll go into pitching later, but the problem right now is the offense, I think. I think we're now looking at the offense going, what the heck, guys? And really focusing on two guys in the last couple of days, and that's Dubal Herrera and Mike Alfranco. We thought going into the season that Herrera and Franco would be sort of the fulcrums of this lineup, the guys who would at least do the job that they needed to do to ensure that the Phillies would have an average offense out there most of the time. I mean... Anybody, it would be Odubel Herrera would do that, but he has had a very very rough season so far. Two thirty six average. He's only at a two eighty nine on base percentage, which is so unlike Odubel. Even two thousand sixteen Odubel, or excuse me, two thousand fifteen Odubel, who wasn't as patient as two thousand sixteen Odubel. That two eighty nine OBP is very low, and it's disconcerting. More disconcerting is the forty two strikeouts leads the team. He has six more than Cesar Hernandez. He just looks like he's hacking out there. He has no direction whatsoever at the plate. And that's not good for someone who the last two years has been a steady force, being patient, looking for his pitch, and drilling line drives. And that's all he was ever doing. And all we needed him to do was drill line drives. He doesn't need to hit home runs. He doesn't need to be the guy. He doesn't need to hack. All he needs to do is get the ball on the ground or in the air a little bit and we're fine, but he is not even doing that. He is completely fooled on everything. It looks like he's looking for everything to be in his zone so he can crush it. Instead, he's hacking at pitches that are low in the zone, a lot of breaking balls he's missing. He just looks lost. And I think we're at a point now where Odubel probably needs a couple of days off. Maybe the series against Colorado coming up this week is a good time to do it. I know it's good to get him out there every day, but right now a guy who looks as lost as he does maybe needs a rest. We said that about Tommy Joseph in April. And he did get a little bit of a rest there at the end of the month, but he's come around extremely well. He's got a 316 OBP, which isn't great, but he's slugging 467. He's got six home runs. He's now weighted OPS over hundred. So he's a, he's an above average, above league average player right now. Tommy Joseph is seeing a turnaround. Maybe Oduple can get that pretty soon. But right now it's been a really tough season. As for Michael Franco, goodness. At what point are we going to see this guy explode and be the hitter that we think he's going to be? The sad thing is the peripherals aren't that bad. He's only struck out 22 times this year, which is lowest among all Philly regulars. He's walked 13 times, which isn't bad, but it seems like he won't go too deep into counts. And our newest contributor at philliesnation.com, Evan Guz, is looking into that this week on what Michael Franco might be doing wrong at the plate and why those numbers aren't showing what they should be showing. We said in April that, "Oh, he's hitting the ball well, they're on a line, and he's taking pitches, so his approach isn't bad. It will show up and he will start to hit, hit, hit." And that happened for about 4 or 5 days at the end of the month, and then since then, pff, nothing. So, we're at a point here where, you know, questions need to be answered this year, right? We were always talking about how we need to find out if Michael Franco can be a star player that you can have in the middle of the lineup for the rest of this team's building process into their contention, right? We were wondering whether Cesar Hernandez was going to be a guy that maybe he was part of this future. We were going to answer the question of Tommy Joseph. Is he a viable major leaguer on a team that's contending? You know, also looking at some of these pitchers. But Franco, if you're to ask me that question right now, if, Michael Franco is a player that you can rely on for the next five years with this Phillies franchise moving from building into a contention stage. I don't think they can. I mean, he's done nothing in the last calendar year, at least, to show that he is an everyday player playing at a high level. His numbers aren't good. His approach has not changed. His fielding is average when it's best. Most of the time, it's slightly below average. Maybe the Phillies are better off with just a good defensive third baseman out there. Maybe they're better off looking into the market after this season. Maybe Manny Machado is the guy. Maybe there's a trade to be made. Maybe they should look into trading Franco now. I mean, his value isn't that high at this moment, but he's not getting paid a lot. They never gave him an extension. Maybe this is the time. I don't want to say that because I believe in Michael Franco. I think he is the kind of player that once he gets on a roll, my goodness, he can get on a roll But he hasn't been on a roll in the last year, and that's disconcerting as much as it is with Odubel not hitting the ball. The thing I'll take with Odubel is that his defense has been very, very good this year. But Franco, what is he giving you? You know, the defense is average at best. He needs to be a hitter, and that's not happening this year. So that right now is the biggest problem. Pitching, obviously an ongoing problem for the Phillies, and let's get into that now. Starting pitching has been quite a buckaboo for the Phillies in the last few weeks, especially in the last week or so when Phillies pitching hasn't really gotten through the sixth inning, Arenola aside. Dan Walsh is here from philliesnation.com to talk about the starting pitching woes. And, Dan, you wrote a piece that is out this morning about Jared Eikoff. What, what have you uh, found with Eichhoff and his struggles recently and what he could do to maybe bounce back?
1: Yeah, so what first made me interested in looking at Eikoff more closely is that he had those those few rough starts in a row, and that is so unlike Eikhoff. You know, we all of us at Phillies Nation, we spent all of the winter talking about how Eichoff would be so consistent for us. He has been the whole time he's been up. So I was trying to figure out what happened that uh, that had this kind of rough patch come up for him. And I, I couldn't find a ton in the numbers. I did see that his curveball, the movement on his curveball, you know, the vertical movement, the drop on it, hasn't been quite what it was in seasons past, Um, and I'm not quite sure yet if we can tie that to to the results that he had for those three rough starts, because that's been the case all season for him. It seems like he's throwing it a little harder, and it's not dropping quite as Hmm. much. What the explanation that he's given, um, and that the pitching coaches have also given, is that his mechanics were just off. For one of those games, maybe more than one of those games, um, and as we saw in his last start, he 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 performed much better against against a tough, a pretty tough Texas lineup. So um, he he seems confident that he's made the adjustment that he needs to make, um, and and really it would be you know so helpful for the Phillies if he could turn into that consistent pitcher who can go relatively deep into games.
0: Yeah, what you found in your piece was that his curveball was dropping at only five inches this season. Uh, which is opposed to 7.8 inches last year. And we remember, I remember we talked about last year how great the Philly staff was at curveballs. The uh, Fangraphs had a piece early last year about how Helixson and Eikhoff and Noah Special were just really throwing amazing curveballs, some of the best in the league, and that maybe Bob McClure was sort of uh, growing a a curveball farm in Philadelphia and there hasn't been a lot of talk about that kind of thing this year. It seems as if the Phillies aren't – starting pitching, There doesn't seem to be like one pitch or none of these guys seem to have one pitch that's really dynamic right now. And if Eikhoff can get that curveball back to where it was last year, I think that will help because that always seemed to be the thing that he always had in his arsenal. He could just throw that curveball for strikes.
1: Yeah, he's clearly going to be one of those pitchers where if he keeps up the success that he started his career with, the, the thing that everyone will talk about all the time, you know, MLB Network will always show his curveball. You know, sports center Clips will always show his curveball. That's really going to be the pitch that decides whether or not, you know, he's this kind of consistent, relatively known pitcher or just kind of an inning theater who most people don't know about unless they're Phillies fans.
0: So what I noticed about another pitcher in the Phillies rotation, Vince Velasquez, who had a really tough start on Saturday, and we'll talk about what he said uh, in a little bit, but first off, Talking about pitches that matter, his four-seam fastball, which we all remember that big 16-strikeout game against the Padres where he basically dotted that across the zone and stumped the Padres blind. He was throwing that at its best potential. In the last two months, basically this entire season, his four-seam fastball has generated some really good movement and guys have not been able to hit it. In fact, in April... The opponent batting average on his four-seam bas- fastball was only 152, and in May it was 192. Guys aren't hitting that pitch. Last year it was only at about 250, 255, 270, in that range. So he's clearly doing something well with that. It's the other pitches that are the problem right now. Are you seeing anything with him that you're saying, oh, this is different from what we saw last year with him?
1: Not really, to be honest with you, and kind of that's the problem for me is that we're not – Not seeing much that's different for him um you know i can't quite explain the different results that his fastball has had um but really what we wanted to see was that efficiency that we keep talking about with him um we want to know that he can go six or seven innings instead of every single start having to talk about whether or not it's time for him to go to the bullpen so um so yeah the fastball is great there's a lot of life on his fastball and there kind of always have been has been um but maybe he needs to start working in these other these secondary pitches and getting more confidence in a changeup as a PIPs that I've seen uh, suggested that he he focus on a lot, you know, or or keep working on a curveball, yeah. um, um, so that then he can use that fastball and spot that fastball um, and keep keep everybody off balance so that he doesn't have to worry about every single bit of contact being a hard hit ball and he doesn't have to strike everyone out then.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I see with his starts is. You're right. You know, he he throws the forcing fastball, and it's about 67% of the time, according to Brooks Baseball. He's throwing it about two thirds of the time. When he throws it, I mean, guys get stumped by it, but they also are able to foul it off because it's not a 98, 99 mile per hour fastball. It has a little bit of movement. But guys can get it a little bit. So he's fouling off. A lot of pitches are getting fouls. So if he can work in the changeup, if he can work in the curveball, guys are hitting it well, but it's a very short sample size for all those pitches. If he can get that secondary or tertiary pitch going, yeah, maybe he can stump guys a little bit more and work a little bit quicker in games. Because right now, that fastball, all that people are seeing, as good as it is as a pitch, it still is making him work a lot harder than he should.
1: Right, and remember, that's kind of what Cole Hamels had to do at first, was he had this uh, phenomenal change-up right. and a decent fastball, right? But when Cole Hamels was only throwing those two pitches, batters knew just foul off the, the change-up as many times as you can until you get the fastball, right? And so he was seeing so many foul balls being hit, and batters were just waiting on him, and then he added a cutter, and you know, every once in a while would throw in a curveball. Um, and just having that other pitch in the back of the batter's minds Did wonders for him.
0: Yeah, that's basically what Kyle Kendrick, uh, in his first kind of call-up with the Phillies in 2007, he threw that fastball-slash-sinker and had guys fooled. But once teams came around a second or third time to see him, they knew that he only had two pitches. So they would just wait for one of those pitches, and they'd slam it. And that's why Kendrick was, was exposed as a... You know, at best, a fifth starter, and that's why he's what he is today. And so that that's the separation between being a Kyle Kendrick type or being a Cole Hamels type, is you have to build that tertiary pitch. You have to get better at the other things. And Velasquez maybe isn't quite doing that right now. He said after his game on Saturday, and this is telling stuff, quote, I guess no matter what or how I feel, there's no adjustments being made at all. In the game, it's just a lack of commitment, a lack of concentration, just a lack of everything. I mean, geez, even my golf game is a lack of everything. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just clueless right now. I'm running around like a chicken without a head. I just don't know what I've got to do. But I, I just know there's something. I just got to break it down little by little. I mean, this is ridiculous stuff from him. I mean, he is totally lost right now. Is this a Bob McClure problem? And and I mean, we've talked about Bob McClure a little bit on Twitter and. There's a little bit of rumbling here and there, but I mean, what does this guy have to do right now?
1: It might be a Bob McClure problem, and I know that coaches are so often the scapegoats, and fans uh, and writers even will blame them for things when you can't really quite prove what a coach is helping with or is not helping with or what they're trying with a guy or what he's not. But a team full of young players like Velasquez, you're not surprised when they feel lost, right? Like, that's part of growing. Um, it's true in baseball. It's true in kind of everything. It's Sometimes when you're, you're learning, you're taking the first steps in something, you, you don't quite have your footing yet. You need mentors and teachers there to help you find that footing. And that's what McClure's job really is, is seeing a guy like Velasquez and saying, well, you feel lost, right? Let's see what we can build on. Let's see how I can guide you into being the pitcher that you can be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I know Velasquez is very hard on his sleeve but I feel like a pitching coach has to be there so that he doesn't get Velasquez to the point where he's actually saying these things to the media after his start like Velasquez after throwing a tough start against Pittsburgh he can't be at a point where he's saying I don't know what's going on I feel like a pitching coach should come in in that in in some moment before that media availability and say Let's work this out. I mean, am I wrong? Am I right here?
1: No, I'm absolutely with you because it's okay for a player to be hard on himself, but you would hope that Velasquez would come out after and say, I didn't execute on this pitch, you know, or I should have thrown this more often or I wasn't locating. So so a a growing pitcher will have flaws and things he needs to work on, but he's not going to improve improve them unless someone like a pitching coach is there to tell him what they are in the first place.
0: So do you want Bob McClure as the pitching coach of the Phillies through the rest of the season?
1: It's hard to say. Uh, you know, it, he did um, supposedly pull Velasquez aside today for a meeting, kind of a one-on-one. And um, so we don't know how that conversation really went. But if we don't start seeing some more growth from our pitchers, you do have to wonder how long McClure is going to be around. I
0: don't know. I'm with you. Kind of kind of kind of the same way. I want I kind of want to see a change, but at the same time, I want to see good pitching and I hope that this guy can kind of turn these guys around. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I you know, we we it's it's not right for us to be calling for people to be fired cuz again, we don't know the conversations that they have backstage, but um you know, we do have to see some growth in these pitchers at some point. Um and, yeah. and another guy that I'm wondering if um if his role should be different, or if his uh, helping the pitcher should be different, actually is Cameron Rupp, because he has a reputation of being a terrible game caller and not helping pitchers so much, and not framing pitches well enough to help them get borderline pitches. So I wonder if his role as a catcher also is problematic for these young pitchers.
0: Well, I'm I'm I also don't love Cameron Rupp as a play caller, and and I feel like if you if you have a staff of young guys and you're grooming young pitchers as part of your rebuilding philosophy, then you shouldn't have a guy who's terrible at calling pitches behind the plate all the time. And at the same time, McClure actually basically called out Rupp as a terrible pitch caller and as one of the reasons why this team is playing so poorly right now. I mean, I feel like there's so much behind the lines that is happening that we don't know. And we kind of see Rupp isn't good at his job. McClure probably isn't great at his job. Things need to change. I don't know if they will, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's like one of these things has to change. I feel like something has to change in the next month for us to kind of feel like, okay, this team knows that it's, something's wrong right now with the pitching staff. Because they were a good young pitching staff when the season started last year.
1: Yeah, it, the, I wrote an article before the season started saying that the pitching, that the rotation was the best part of this team. Like, yeah. I did. My name is on that. You know, yeah, it's it, terrible. It, it, it's humiliating yeah. now. But but the talent is there. It just has to reach that point. It has to step up above the plateau that they seem to be on at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, it's amazing that these guys can't even get through five innings or six innings without getting hit so much that, you know, makes their ears bleed. But anyways... Uh, Dan Walsh, we'll talk to you soon, but thanks for coming on to talk about some of the pitching concerns with the Phillies.
1: Yeah, anytime. In case you haven't
2: been following the Lehigh Valley, Iron Pigs are playing great baseball. I'm actually recording this on Wednesday, uh, May 17th. So things that may have changed at this point, but the Iron Pigs at this point have won 11 straight games. And I have with me someone who is very familiar with what's going on right now at Coca-Cola Park, and actually they're on the road right now. But this is the Director of Media Relations and the voice of the Iron Pigs on the Iron Pigs Radio Network. Matt Province. welcome to the Philly Nation podcast.
3: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Great time to be an Iron Pig broadcast media guy because there's a lot of good, positive information to dig up on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, has anybody asked you anything negative about anybody in the last uh, week or so? It,
3: this is, I'll tell you what, and you guys all know the Philly media, as in any big market around a sports team, can be sometimes on the on the cruel side, or at least on the, um, you know, not afraid to bring up failures, uh, but for the most part, it's been really wonderful, because, you know, the other night I said it, you know, the one missing link had been J.P. Crawford, and he hits a home run, Pigs win one nothing, and, yeah. it, you know, it's just, it just, it got him in the act offensively, and really has left you with nothing but great things to say pretty much about everybody on that on that roster. I mean, really a, a remarkable run. It's, you know, the longest winning streak since the Phillies moved their affiliate to Scranton to be the Red Barons back in 1989. Records are tough to come by pr- prior to that, but, um, you know, just up and down the roster, everybody contributing and everybody really enjoying
2: this run. So we'll get to the second. First, your personal history with the Iron Fix. How many years have you been with Lehigh Valley?
3: Since day one, um, you know, I, the first season was 2008, but I actually started in December of 2006. So okay. it's been a while, and I saw a lot of real rough years. The first couple, you know, the three years under Dave Huppert, uh, you know, never once above 500 till Ryan Sandberg won on opening day in 2011. So there have been a lot of low points. There have been some high points, but really nothing's beat going to the ballpark
2: the last dozen days. And you must have lived in Ottawa then for that one year or two years that they were in Ottawa. Is that right?
3: Uh, Different ownership. So no, as they were playing as Ottawa, we were preparing and, you know, making connections, building websites, uh, you know, getting the, the community involved. So we had a a busy 2007. It was really tough for me too, a guy that had been in baseball before to have a summer without a baseball season was really kind of weird. But it went by quickly because we had so much to do to prepare for, you know, what has become really one of the the truly most successful, you know, franchise, not only in AAA, but in all minor league baseball.
2: Absolutely, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I noticed uh, in your bio that you uh, had a stopping ground. One of your stopping grounds was where I used to live in Norwich, Connecticut. You were uh, with the Norwich Navigators for a year. Um, Any any remembrances of being in Norwich or Yankee? It was awesome. (laughs) You know, it's funny because
3: you know there there was there was some things wrong with the situation, but a lot of things right with the situation. Um, You know, people now think of Connecticut as being uh, you know an independent league team or a short season team, but You know, they were double-A New York Yankees. And, you know, I was fortunate to be there in 1997. I mean, Daryl Strawberry came through on a rehab. Dwight Gooden came through on a rehab. Tim Raines came through on a rehab. But really the biggest story, one of the most eye-opening experiences to what minor league baseball and the popping circumstance could be like was when, uh, you know, the prized signing from uh, overseas, Hideki Aravu, came through. Uh, And that was pretty crazy, too. Now I'm going back, you know, some of your listeners may not even remember all. That much about Hideke Arabu, but he was supposed to be, you know, even better. He was supposed to be, uh, Hideo Nomo heavy, so to speak. Um, but it was more figurative than little, literally, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah. more literally than figuratively, as, as, uh, George Tyner was point to a uh, quick yeah. point out. But regardless, uh, it was a great experience. Um, you know, anytime you're with the Yankees organization during a time when things are going well, you do get a sense of importance. And that's what we had in double A Norwich that year.
2: And and before Lehigh Valley, I mean, any any other sort of high points in your career up until that point?
3: You know, I enjoyed working with uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I was there in their affiliate uh, system for seven years in Lynchburg, Virginia, and the only ring I have had in 21 years of doing this came in 2002 when the Hillcats won the Carolina League championship. Significant to your listeners because Pete McCannon was the manager, ah. and I grew you know, kind of in affinity for for Pete during that season for his, his, his quick wit, his uh, knowledge of the game, his ability to handle personalities. And it was really funny because when I finally was reunited with Pete, uh, I, I had run into him a couple of times, especially after he came to the Phillies organization. But when uh, he came to the the Iron Pigs Winter Banquet, uh, the year that he was named full-time manager after serving as the interim when Ryan Sandberg departed. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, it just goes to show you, you don't know if you stick with it good things might happen. And I felt really good for him because he really had kind of given up the dream of getting the full-time managerial role in the big leagues. And, you know, lo and behold, now he's got it. And he's really making the most of, you know, what is it, a, a roster still not quite up to par with major league talent, uh, although it's on the way and yeah. he's getting there and the, and the team's playing with a lot of heart, um, yeah. you know, he'll get there. And I hope he stays there for a while. I'm glad to see he got this extension recently. And that really stands out as
2: one of my, uh, you know, my brightest memories. Yeah, certainly, McKinnon has done a great job. and Like you said, with a roster that's still kind of halfway full, and he's working really hard to make sure that these guys play hard for him every day. And they're certainly doing that. The losses may be piling up right now on the major league level, but they're they're a better team, I think, than they have been the last few years. So that's a, a testament to McCannon and his staff, sure. Um, so leading to Lehigh Valley and being part of this organization now, I, have you seen anything... uh in your career, that is like this year—not just the wins that have piled up recently, but going into the season, the roster that you have with, you know, a complete lineup, basically, of prospects, say for maybe one spot, and then the pitching location, all prospects and guys in the pen who you know can easily come up to the majors at some point. Have you ever seen anything like that in your career? Not, not at this level. You know, again, I go back to some of those early days. I mean, even,
3: even the championship in Lynchburg, but that's all A-ball. You know, it's advanced day stuff where. You know, and some of those guys made it to the major leagues. But, you know, you're you're still a good ways off. So to, to see it up at, really at this level, and I was a little bit apprehensive because in the beginning, you know, we went down and did a couple of spring training games for the Phillies, uh, you know, down there during, the, during March. And everybody who I ran into, oh, man, you guys are going to be fully loaded. You guys, and I knew we would be. But I also knew, too, that a lot of the guys that were coming had never experienced AAA before. You know, even though Jorge Alfaro and Roman Quinn had spent time in the big leagues at the end of last year, you know, now they were coming down to be everyday players. Dylan Cousins, Reese Hoskins, um, didn't have any Triple A seasoning. Uh, just a little bit for J.P. Crawford. Um, so my worry was that you know there's a, a chance that we'll be slow out of the gates because it takes a while to adjust. And I never really have been a fan of organizations that jump guys from Double A AA to Triple A because although you get the prospects in Double A most of the time, it really tells you something about a guy when he faces maybe former major leaguers, veteran major league league uh, hitters or pitchers that they have the savvy. Maybe not the upside, maybe not the stuff, but the savvy. And so now you're getting guys that can carve them up, but they've got a hole in their swing. And sure enough, you know, early on, Dylan Cousins really struggled. Uh, Everybody really struggled outside of Reese Hoskins. But you had the confidence, you had the the hope that as, you know, the the guys got a little bit more experienced, as the the instruction came forward, um, that they'd start to gel. And, you know, I actually think it's taken a shorter amount of time than what I was expecting, even though everybody told me you guys gonna win ninety five games, but it's been great to see the adjustment that some of these youngsters have made. Um and, and you hope again for the Phillies' sake that you know, these these guys aren't all gonna hit, but you know, three right. or four of these guys hit and now you're looking at really filling up a roster there with a lot of great young talent for years to come.
2: Yeah. And you know, we're kind of guilty of it too. We had a piece before the season started uh that said that the Iron Picks could win a hundred games. So we we put a lot of pressure on, you know, the teams that we think are really stacked, and that's kind of a Philadelphia thing to do, obviously. But as you said, I think you're right. It didn't take as long as we thought for them to really gel and start playing hot. And this month of May has been really something for this team. So now 11 straight wins as of the recording of this on May 17th. What has been the biggest factor to this team winning as much as they have recently? Well,
3: I mean, on the surface, the most obvious thing to say is is the emergence of Dylan Cousins. Um, Before we get to that, though, I I think which which really is is remarkable when you talk about the depth of this team. And I've said this on some TV interviews. I've said it during our broadcast on the air each night. It's amazing how a roster of twenty five guys features so many people that can all contribute to the success over such a long period of time. Pigs have won high scoring games. Pigs have won low scoring games. Two one nothing wins in a row uh this past week they've won games where it's been sloppy defensively on both sides they've won games that have been played crisply I mean it, it's just it, they came from behind five last night it was five nothing you know having won 10 in a row it looked like maybe the streak would end they were down five nothing and then Ben Lively after giving up five runs retires 11 straight they don't get another hit for the rest of the game and the pigs win nine five I mean how many different ways and how many people have contributed it, really it's been great now specifically I mean I mentioned Dylan Cousins, who, was the uh, International League Player of the Week this past week. But you know, here's a guy in 11 games. He has four game-winning home runs during the winning streak. Two of them were walk-offs. One came in a one nothing victory with just two innings to go against the former Philly, Brett Oberholzer. The other came last night to cap off you know, the, the five-run comeback to give the Pigs a 6-5 lead. They wouldn't relinquish. So, again, naturally when you have a slugger in the middle of your lineup putting up the numbers he's put up really since the calendar turned May when he's been a 350 hitter with a you know, 1,200 OPS, that's been a big factor because, you know, for a while there Reese Hopkins was doing all the heavy lifting, he and Alfaro. Um, where Alfaro went through a really cold spell, and then last night, you know, in win number 11 in the winning streak, he snapped an 0-for-15 skid with a big bases loaded, two out, three run double. I mean, you need guys up and down the lineup to contribute, and that's what's happening. Then you look at the bullpen. I mean, Pat Venditti, God bless him, the switch pitcher that we've got out there, Hasn't allowed a run and only two hits over 18 and two-third innings? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Bobby Milner, a guy that was Rule 5 by the Indians, he hasn't allowed a run yet either. He won another yeah. inning last night. The two have combined for 32 scoreless innings. You know? And so just a whole host of guys, good starts. Aaron Nola helped, obviously. He started two of the games in the winning streak. But just an amazing amount of, of contributors and, and 11 wins in a row.
2: Well, let me dive into some of these individual performances here. You mentioned Dylan Cousins and all the home runs he's hit. Including, by the way, the 470 foot or whatever it was home run that he hit over Coca-Cola Park on Sunday. Uh, what do you what do you what do you see when you see a guy like that who could just demolish a ball? I mean, much in the way that Ryan Howard did when he was with you know the organization when he was with Scranton years ago, and all that.
3: I see a guy that needs to be uh, constantly reminded um, that, that he's got the power. He's got to stay quick to the ball. He's got to be short on his swing. You know, when, he, when I first saw him, his first swing at Coca-Cola Park, uh, we had that, the showcase against Reading, the exhibition game before the season began. He hit a home run off of Oleski, and I swear to you, he just basically flipped his bat at the ball, and I thought to myself on contact, there's no way that's going out. And it sailed out, and I said, wow. I mean, you can generate that kind of power with a very compact swing. Now, you know how it is. Every slugger, especially if they they go really well, like you and me on the golf course, we had one or two good drives. We think we're Greg Daly, and the next thing you know, we're four fairways over. You know, he's got to stay with that approach. He's got to be constantly reminded. Um, and, you know, they, they fooled around with where he stands, whether he's close to the plate, whether he's too far from the plate. They've moved him closer because he was taking a lot of strikes on the outside corner, left himself a little susceptible on the inside corner as well. So they're working with him. There's a lot of things there that are that are still in progress. But for me, the biggest thing is that if he can just stay close to the ball, quick to the ball, he doesn't have to commit too early and, and leave himself prone to the off-speed pitch. You know, he won't go chasing on the left-handed pitchers who started four. He was four for forty-three against lefties. Now he's six for his last ten with three home runs. He's got wow. to keep short and he's got to be constantly reminded of that because obviously there's a temptation when you're a big guy and you have that power to start getting a little longer, especially as you start to pile up a couple of offers.
2: Um, but he's done yeah. a really good job of, of staying within himself here the last 10 days. Yeah, and, and then his brother, his brother in, in prime there, Reese Hoskins, as you said, he's been basically the constant force for the team uh, since the beginning of the year. He's having a great year. You know, OBP's 426. His average is 336. He has tons of extra base hits. Is he ready for the majors right now, do you think?
3: He's the closest. You know, I look back over the years of Iron Pigs baseball, the hitters that we sent up. Um, you know Dominic Brown. Obviously, some thought he was sent up too early. Whatever. Um, you know he really w- was swinging a wonderful bat. Uh, you think about Aaron Altair. Unfortunately, a, a wrist injury last year, but the way he swung it in 2015, it kind of continued once he went up in September. Got a chance to play a little bit more regularly down the stretch for Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, Hoskins to me is he's a polished hitter. Still has a few holes, and and' will you know once in a while we'll chase yet you know maybe a batter a batter or two the last couple of days, but. What I've been so amazed with is how few times we have seen those bad at bats. He goes up with a plan, usually takes several pitches. I joke around in the press box that if I had a dollar for every time he was two and one on a count, I double my Iron Pig salary. Um, you know, and, and every time it's two and one, the, the beat writer, one of the beat writers, Tom Hosking, the morning call, casts a furtive glance my way and then a smile. But uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about a mature approach. And I tell you, it's so funny. Two guys with, with fairly similar stats, two completely different players, Hoskins and Cousins. Oh yeah, um, but I really, you know, I didn't know what to expect from Cousins. I've been just incredibly impressed with his ability um, to use all fields, to not have, you know, those bad at bats, to not chase, to really battle. Whether it's been a lefty or a righty, and oddly, he's had much better success against right-handed pitching. Um, you know, which to me is a better sign because you know you want to go up there and you want to be able to be able to to, to play against right-handed pitching, or you else know, so you're going to limit yourself in a platoon quite a bit um and to me I, I just can't believe the polish he's had you know
2: one of the top polished hitters we've had in 10 years here yeah and, and as you said he doesn't have paid at bats. he has 26 strikeouts which is low for a slugging first baseman to 20 walks which i mean if he's doing that already at this level young in his career like this i mean this is a guy who's his uh, potential to you know always have an obp in the high 300s at least you know through, throughout his career that, that's amazing for me to see a slugger able to do that at such an early age um So Jorge Alfaro, another big name that, you know, we've been following very closely. And I think early in the year we got really excited about his hitting because he does hit. All he does is hit. The strikeout numbers are still pretty high in comparison to the walk numbers. Is that a concern for you guys? Is is it still like, oh, we need to see him kind of have better at-bats? Or is he having better at-bats? Or are we not seeing that and it's just on the numbers?
3: 100%. No, I mean, even when he's going well, uh, you talk to Charlie Hayes, who's a bench coach. It was obviously a great major league career in terms of duration. You talked to Dusty Watson, his manager. You talked to Sal Rennie, a really well-respected hitting coach, obviously within the Phillies organization. And, you know, there's a lot to be excited about, but, you know, you got to hold the reins on the chariot, you know. I mean, he had a, you know, we put out a tweet when he was hitting like 350 and had a big hit, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh, let's bring him up now, let's bring him up now. But two things. We'll start with the offense is, you know, the guy, he swings every first pitch. And mm-hmm. as much as I joke around about having a buck for every 2-1 count for a uh, for Reese Hoskins, I'd I quadruple my salary if I get that, and the 0-2 counts for Jorge Alfaro. And you know as well as I do, I mean, any type of baseball fan who dives into the statistics, you know, it's it's a numbers game to a degree, and anybody who's always behind, especially 0-2, is going to have a really low average, you know? And, yeah. and, and they're really trying him to be more selective. They really want him to understand that, you know, you don't have to swing at the first strike. You get two more. See the pitcher, make sure it's your pitch, but... He's like the stubborn child who just can't resist. I mean, he can't resist swinging at a first pitch. It's really remarkable. Um, you know, so he's got he's got to get that figured out. He's got to be more selective because as he gets up there to that final level, as you know, there are going to be pitchers who will know that. He won't see a strike first pitch. He'll see something maybe just off the plate that will look like a strike, and he'll be swinging at pitchers pitches nine times out of ten. So he's got to be more selective. Obviously, it's there. He has the ability to hit to all fields. He's remarkably fast for a catcher who's kind of got that barrel-chest catcher's build. He can run a little bit. Uh, he, you know, he's got the hose of an arm, which is a huge attribute. The other big thing for me, and this reminds me very much of the conversations I would have had with you last year at this time with Andrew Knapp. You've got to catch the baseball. Hmm. And, you know, a wild pitch is charged to the pitcher. But another thing, you know, when you're a baseball fan, is, is the pitcher's got to be able to trust his catcher to flip one in the dirt 2 or o one one yeah. or depending who's hitting. And, you know, he, he's really had a hard time stopping those balls. Uh, he's had a lot of pass balls as well. But you know what? If you work hard, I saw a market improvement in Andrew Knapp from April to September last year and his defense was good enough even after talking to Pete McCannon specifically about Knapp during spring training that again, you know, he was able to make the team out of out of uh, clearwater with a comfort level that if they threw him back behind home plate he would be able to hold his own. And so there is there's a faith and a hope that Alfaro will follow that same learning curve. Um, he's a good kid, very good kid, great teammate with a lot of tools, but hold the horses, guys. I mean, really, <laughs> he, to me, he's got to be here. I would be surprised. And Cameron Rupp's starting to hit now, and, yeah. you know, you still have map up there. There's really, a, barring an injury, there really wouldn't be much of a reason to even consider Alfaro to September. Uh, and even if there was an injury, I've always had my money on Logan Moore being a major league-ready backup catcher that – could certainly go up in an instant and and, and and do his job up there in Philadelphia, if
2: need be, allowing Alfaro to get better and improve in all facets down here. Yeah, I think that, that was definitely a couple of weeks ago, Matt Gelba of com had a piece that said, you know, by the way, it's his last option here. So I don't think the Phillies are going to want to bring up Alfaro and have him lose that sort of education that he needs in the Valley you know, when he could be down there and doing that and not have to expose himself in the majors quite yet. So I think you're right. You know, there's no reason to have Alfaro come up to the majors at this point. Um, I'm going to skip some of the other offensive guys, but I did want to come on. Obviously, the guy that everybody talks about, J.P. Crawford, and the year he's had, and, you know, we gnash our teeth because we're Philadelphians, and we wonder what the heck's going on with him, and is he ever going to make it as a prospect? And he's so young, but we still get very antsy. Talk us off the ledge on J.P. Crawford, because I know he's doing other things that we're not seeing. Uh, two words, Freddie Galvis,
3: you know, and I, it's relaxed. You know, it's funny because <laughs> I had a conversation with Matt Breed the other day and there's been stories written about, you know, people already starting to write Crawford off. Or, First of all, the guy's very young and you can make the argument, and this is nothing, you know, no offense to Philly's organization who know plenty more about their players than do I, okay? But, you know, you can certainly make the argument that he was rushed. You no, know, he had 265 for the first month and a half. In Reading last year, and boom, he was up in double as the youngest, you know, Iron player, and at the time, the youngest position player in the league. So, you know, yes, he was in AAA knocking on the door, but you have to remember he was so young. And even now, he's a young 22 who's never really, over a full year in higher level of minor league baseball, put up the offensive numbers that would justify a promotion to the big leagues. And, you know, whether or not he was rushed up, you know, who knows? That, that's a story for another day. He did very well with the Pigs for the first. Really two and a half months last year before completely falling off the last month plus uh, even into the postseason where he really couldn't buy a hit. Um, you, know, and, you know, since August 1st of last year till now, he's been a 170 hitter in AAA. So don't rush him. You know, he hasn't taken his, gl- his bat out to the field with him to his credit. Um, he makes great plays. But, again, I saw Freddie Galvis. And, you know, if I put him side by side and you said to me, well, who's the better defensive shortstop?" I mean, it would be hard not to pick Galvis. Not to yeah. say Crawford at 22 is not going to get better because he will get better. Um, but I, I don't understand this need for J.P. Crawford. It's like this, this dire burning urge that, you know, even though you've got steak and potatoes, you want the barbecue chicken too. I mean, <laughs> was has done a serviceable job. Don't yeah. worry about J.P. Crawford. Worry about Hoskins maybe. Worry about Thompson and Lively. Worry about, you know, these guys and the other prospects on the team. And let JP simmer. You know, turn your attention away from the shortstop position in Lehigh Valley for two months. We'll revisit it, see if there's any improvement by July because he's 22. It, 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 I mean, and, he, and he's, he's a long ways off yet. I mean, he's got to learn how to hit consistently, and, and we're not there yet, obviously. But they just got to file him away and not worry about him. Let him let him have some time. It's just really just not fair to JP to have expectations that he was going to be the shortstop, you know, taking over some some point the season. It's not fair to Freddie Galvis who's become a decent major league shortstop able to hit a little bit with pop and a good glove at sure
2: Well, you know, with Freddie Galvis, A, he's playing fine, especially defensively. He's one of the best shortstops in the league, and so you're right in that. But also, B, when you say Freddie Galvis, I think of just how long it took Freddie to get to the majors and how much seasoning he needed uh, with his bat and his glove to be able to get to the mm-hmm. point where the Phillies know, are too. on him. And
3: Shays are, too. Yeah,
2: Shays absolutely, yeah. So, so it takes a while, especially middle insurers. It takes a long time for them to be at the at the place where they're ready to play every day. Um, pitching staff. So, you guys have had a lot of guys on the rotations, mainly because the Phillies have needed some of your arms. Uh, but right now between, you know, Lively, Thompson, uh, Appel, um, Pinto, you know, and now you got Eshelman on the, on the, on the staff. Uh, who among these guys do you think is the most ready to get caught up? And I and I would say it's Ben Lively. That's my guess. But but who do you think of these guys? You know, is ready for the start. You know, and will be up there for good when the time comes. It's tough to say. First of all, I mean, if
3: Aaron Nola gets activated here as expected for his next start, and, and Nick Pavetta comes down, my answer is going to be Nick Pavetta. Now, yeah. granted, you know, he didn't. He had a little bit of a, a you know rocky first indoctrination to, to Major League Baseball, but. In terms of sheer stuff, I mean, what he was doing down here was remarkable. Uh, It's interesting because, you know, Ben Lively is a guy that has pitched so well here, and he hasn't really had his chance yet, hasn't had a chance. I mean, in spring training, he had some opportunities, and he didn't necessarily impress enough, obviously, to make the team. But, you know, he's not overpowering. He's one of those guys that he's going to have to hit his spots, and he's going to have to keep that deceptive arm action that, you know, opposing hitters say is really difficult to pick up. Um, to do well now yesterday when he pitched on the 16th you know he allowed five runs and that's something we hadn't seen in, in 15 starts from Ben Lively um, but then he, he settled in and retired the final 11 before leaving so you kind of felt like you got back into Ben Lively rhythm as, this, as opposed to just saying well you know what today he didn't have it I
1: thought mm-hmm. it was
3: impressive giving up five runs and then battling back as he did um you know, Jake Thompson, too, I mean, here's a guy that started so slowly, but he's really been dominant his last five starts down here. I don't think the bullpen, obviously, is his long-term coming. He was there out a necessity for the Phillies, you know, earlier this season. And I don't think that's a fair test to what Jake Thompson can do. I think last year, you know, after the first four or five starts, he started to get into a little bit of a rhythm, um, you know, and, and he's a guy that I think can be successful. Um, I don't know if he has the upside long-term as much as Pavetta does after seeing Pavetta more. Yeah. Um, but certainly I think he's worth a chance. I think maybe lively Thompson, one, a one B with, you know, Pinto Eshelman and, uh, you know, a you know, following, maybe not necessarily in that order, but Pinto has got a great lively arm, but he needs a lot of work, especially with mound composure. Um, you know, Eshelman is like Ben lively light from what I've seen so far, 22 mm-hmm. year old who's very inexperienced, but has had nothing but success in two starts up here. Um, a little less on the velocity. Good off speed stuff, but really a terrific ability to command. Um, how that plays up in the major leagues is going to determine on just how well he can really command, you know, not against <laughs> Rochester or against, you know, Scranton Wilkesbury, but against, you know, Washington and, and, and the likes. Um, a little different. <laughs> but he's been impressive from what we have seen. And then, you know, Mark Capel, he's he's really started to pitch a lot better. Um, had one outing of his last four that wasn't so good, but there was 25 mile per hour wind gusts uh, out the center. I still think I look at Mark and I mean no disrespect to him; he's a great kid. To me, I look at a guy and say I'm grooming this guy right now to be a back end guy. Our bullpen's struggling. We've got a plethora of starters now that we have him in the stable, ready to go if need be. Especially when that comes back down, even if they trade Helixson, I look at Appel and I say, Gosh, I'd love this guy one or two one time through a lineup, maybe a three a three man inning or even a, a two inning stint. I feel like his velocity holds long enough to be very effective, even if it doesn't have as much movement as you'd like. Um, And I think eventually one day we'll see that. Maybe they're not ready to give up on it yet, and maybe Mark isn't either. And in fairness, he's
2: pitched pretty well his last four starts.
3: Um, But I think they have something there if they do wish to try to make him into one of these back-end guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I like seeing guys get pushed as much as possible as starters. But there is a timeline, I think, in the future that that is like a 2% timeline for me. Where Mark Capel and Vince Velasquez from the best back end of the Phillies championship in 2020 or 2020 or whatever it is, um, but that's that's another timeline. Um, so let's 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 kind of switch off to just what it's like to come to a game because I mean you've been doing this you know forever since the Iron has been around and you've seen a lot of teams and you've seen a lot of growth with the team and you've seen a great relationship with the area. What's it like to come to Coca-Cola Park and what can fans expect when they when they walk in? One of the things that this has
3: nothing to do with me, so I'm making a disclaimer. I'm giving credit to management, to our general manager, Kurt Landis, to our marketing team, uh, my honor partner, who's a VP, and John Schaefer, Lindsay Up. I mean, we have a, a group there that is always thinking outside the box. Like, they're never satisfied. And it really is amazing to me that after all the early success we had, the fact that they are still willing to invest so much money in the ballpark. There seems to be a new group area, a new uh, – Feature this year, a huge new video board, the biggest in minor league baseball and, you know, accompanying smaller video boards for a whole system. I mean, it's amazing to me the, the investment, time, money into making it where it's a unique experience from year to year. You know, I think that was the charge. They don't want to get to a point where it was going to get stale. And even though there was a lot going on, it could be the same presentation from one year to the next. Uh, I mean, there's, I mean, from, to trying the you know the urinal video games to flame throws in the outfield to bubbles at the front gate to literally a promotion every day uh and nearly a giveaway or fireworks one or the other, sometimes both every day, even though it costs a lot of money and obviously a lot of time it it just it it shows the commitment to the fan experience, and so you're not going to find one better in minor league baseball I've traveled several leagues I've traveled to a lot of ballparks and there are a lot of great presentations, a lot of great stadiums, but you combine it stadium that keeps getting better a stadium that is always clean with the promotions that are constantly new and ever evolving and the great uh, attention to detail by our staff on to making sure that we continue to do um, be the top tier of, of teams with the promotions i give a whole lot of respect to those guys because i'd be exhausted with it i after back for four years you know yeah yeah keep doing it and, and to me it's amazing and you know, look, we're the only minor league team since our inception to draw 600,000 each of the years we've been in play. Now, nine coming into this year. This is our 10th. Um, you know, kudos to, to that group for, for what they've done. Um, but, you know, the proof was in the pudding with Reading, you know, a team that Craig Stein owned and, and, and Lakewood and, and Trenton, some of the better teams in minor league baseball are all part of our ownership in the High Valley. So I'm not surprised, um, but I'm very delighted to be a part of it, even though, you know, my brain is in between the chalk and telling you about all these guys we've talked about today, not necessarily <laughs> on what bobblehead doll we're going to give away or yeah, what yeah, crazy yeah. auction jersey we're going to do tonight. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a unique experience. And if you haven't done it, it's so close to Philly. It's not a bad drive. You know, take 476 up, you know, you'll be there in an hour and 10 minutes and you'll enjoy a good, intimate experience where you feel like you're really part
2: of the game. Well, yeah, you're right, absolutely right, and, and people should go to the game, uh you know, go to games this year, this summer, it's, just, it's an affordable thing, and, and, and families are, you know, it's a family kind of atmosphere, so go, go, go. But uh, I, it's funny because I've seen, I think in the last couple of years, and I think it's part of it is because of the prospects, but I think part of it is too because you guys brand yourself so well that I've seen so many more Iron Pigs jerseys and apparel out in the wild. And you see, you know, the bacon stuff, which is just—I think it's a genius concept. That you guys just ran with that—it's amazing. So, go to a game if you are listening. Go to a, uh, Iron Pigs game this year. It's easy, it's affordable, and it's and it's close by to Philadelphia, up uh, in downtown. Uh, so, Matt, uh, you're on Twitter, correct? Yeah, at Pigs Radio. At Pigs Radio. So, follow Matt on Twitter, and uh, hopefully, we go to a game, you know, or or just listen to him on the radio, and and you'll be part of the action. and It'll be fun and. Uh, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about the picks. Hopefully, after this recording, they win a couple more games, and we're talking about maybe a 15-game winning streak or something like that on the podcast this week. Maybe? Well, I hope yeah. so.
3: I hope so. <laughs> I'll be on to talk about it if we break some kind of records, too, okay? I promise.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, anytime.
0: Hey, what's better than spending a warm summer evening watching the stars of tomorrow play baseball? Phillies Nation will invade First Energy Stadium to watch Scott Kingery and the Reading Fightons on Sunday, June 11th at 5 p.m. with a fun group outing for fans of all ages. That's right, 5 p.m. Sunday, June 11th. We have the third baseline where tickets are $30 and include a two-and-a-half-hour all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet with ribs. Chicken, hot dogs, burgers, mac and cheese, and much more. Plus, this is the perfect Father's Day gift, as the first 2,000 guys will receive a Fightin's bucket hat, and all fans are invited to play catch on the field after the game. Come see the future of the Phillies today with Phillies Nation, June 11th, 5 p.m. For details, visit philliesnation.com slash events. Again, it's philliesnation.com slash events. All right, let's bring in Corey Sharp, who is talking about one of the better aspects of the Phillies organization right now, and that's obviously what's happening in the minor leagues. He went to see the Reading fight in Phil's. On Saturday, and though they lost, they put on a decent show for him at least. You got to talk to Scott Kingery, the big-time Double A prospect. Corey, how was Scott Kingery? Uh, first impressions.
4: I first impression. Scott Kingery, is, he's a really good guy. To me, he just has that that it factor. He's a ball player, as so many other people have, have described him as. And uh, although he didn't have a great game on uh, Saturday night, he went over four, but. On Sunday, he went four for five with another with another two home run day. So that that tells you how well he's swinging the bat.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive because he has thirteen home runs right now this season, which is something that when I spoke to Mike Ventola last week for the podcast, he said that you know that's something that you didn't expect from Scott Kingery. You didn't expect the big time power, and right now he's. I mean, as of as of early Sunday, he was fourth in the Eastern League in OPS. That's probably moved up today. He might even be first in the Eastern League in home runs at this point. And that's something that, again, you didn't expect. The stolen bases, I mean, nine of them already this year. He leads the team. Just a complete player. Uh, What did did you get out of him as far as where his game is at offensively?
4: Well, it's funny uh, because last year he got moved up kind of late in the year to Double A, and he struggled. He hit 250, Um He struck out more than one, one time the game. I believe he played thirty six, thirty seven games, and he just he really attributed that to just playing so much. He's never played over a hundred games in a year. Uh, I think la- last year he played one hundred and thirty four. So he just said he, you know, adjusted to, adjusted some things in the off season, and and he, you could see now that he's he's pretty much ready to go. He really prepared himself this year, and especially with his time at Major League Camp uh, with with the Phillies. So he, he's really he's all systems go from here on out. I think.
0: What about defensively? What did you what did you see from him in the field?
4: Uh, he's he's quick. He's lightning. Um, and he's just real smooth. I mean, and that's that's pretty much his game. You know, he's just very smooth out there.
0: Yeah, he was compared, uh, Mike Ventola, again, compared him to Chase Utley, which is very, very big stuff when you get compared to a guy like that, obviously a potential future Hall of Famer. We will be, obviously, something for that Hall of Fame bid. But uh, it'll be fun to see Kingery continue on in Reading, and maybe he'll get the call up to Lehigh Valley at some point this year, but it's possible he'll just stay in Reading for the rest of the year. Go out to the ballpark and see him, by the way. We have our trip on June 11th, shameless plug. You also talked to uh, Yaxel Rios, who's having a great year out of the bullpen and running. What did what did you get from Yaxel?
4: Well, Yaxel, he uh, coming into uh, Saturday's game, he had a one point nine zero ERA, thirty five strikeouts in twenty three and two thirds innings. Uh, Sunday's game, he came. In, he didn't pitch Saturday, but Sunday he pitched. He went two innings, gave up three earned runs, so his ERA is now two point eight one. But uh, he, he's now permanently a, a relief pitcher. He was back and forth as a starter all throughout his four or five years in the system and he just did that just to find consistency within his delivery and right now he he thinks he's he's finding that and he still he still has a, a ways to go but uh the progress he's shown this year is really taken off and he has a fastball and a, a devastating slider that he said he's really worked on uh throughout the couple years
0: yeah, 36 strikeouts leads the team, uh, even though he's only pitched about 25 innings with the team. I mean, it's amazing what he's doing right now on the mound. Is there anybody else on, on the running fight and fills that you got a chance to see that kind of impressed you, or maybe you were like, we I have to take a second look at him at some point?
4: Uh, probably Carlos Tochi. Um, he, he's the center fielder, and uh, I believe he's hit, he's hitting over three hundred. Him and Andrew Pullen. Andrew Pullen has, I believe, nine home runs and 29 RBIs. So, I mean, those two guys are, are the outfield. And, uh, Carlos Tochi is, he's only 21 years old. So, he, he's still a, a baby. So, yeah, he's still got a ways to go. But, but, you know, being 21 years old in double A, that, that's pretty good. And his chances are pretty good as well to, to keep rising throughout the system.
0: Yeah, Mike Ventola was telling me that uh, Tochi might have the best glove in the entire system. He looks like he's a major league outfielder today, which is really promising stuff. I mean, we talk about Odubel and how well he's done defensively with the Phils this year and some of the other gloves that are in AAA. But seeing Carlos Tochi doing what he's doing out there and, you know, still a young guy and his bat is really coming alive this year, hey, maybe this is a surprise bat that we never thought we had here. And, uh, uh, you know, someone who's kind of made a big, you know, statement this year uh, is Prospect. So uh, good for Tochi. And, uh, you know, it's good to see that these guys are doing such a great job in Reading. Uh, Corey, thanks for coming on the podcast. And hopefully we'll get you out there to maybe Lehigh Valley next week or something like that.
4: All right. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. That would be fun.
0: Thanks to bensound.com for the music for the podcast. My thanks to Corey Sharp for giving us his report from Reading. Also, thanks to Dan Walsh for coming on earlier on the show to talk about the pitching woes of the Phillies. And thanks to Matt Province, the PR and radio voice of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, for sharing some Iron Pig knowledge with us and helping us get ready for the future. Speaking of the future, let's go over a number real quick because I like doing this every week now. How about Carlos Tochi as... Corey Sharp talked about just a moment ago and his job at Reading. He's hitting 313 with a 396 on on-base percentage. The extra base hits have come along now. He now has 10 of them, 7 doubles and 3 triples. And last week, as I mentioned with Corey, Mike Ventola of Reading said that Carlos Tochi has a glove that can play right now in the major leagues. Maybe Odubal Herrera should be breathing down his neck a little, or should be thinking a little bit about uh, the guy breathing down his neck a little bit. I don't know if that's the truth, but Carlos Tochi's playing well. Keep an eye on him as we get through this season. He's young. He's looking good. And he'll probably get to Lehigh Valley next year. The Phillies Nation podcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and at YouTube at youtube.com slash philliesnation. Go to philliesnation.com for all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, and more. You can read Corey's uh, stuff from Reading and all the stuff he talked about with Scott Kingery. And uh, he talked to Yaxel Rios, and that's a great piece as well. Uh, you can read Evan Gus and his piece on Michael Franco this week. You can read all of our game stuff as the Phillies are back home, and hopefully they'll get some wins. We can only pray. A lot going on right now at Phillies Nation, so check us out. For the Phillies Nation podcast, I'm Tim Malcolm. We'll see you next week.